Fantastic. Uh, my name is Rob Johnston, and I'm the director for Young Life College at UConn. Um, we're actually going into our third year of ministry there, and it's absolutely insane what God does. Um, especially coming up from Jacksonville, Florida, where my wife and I were for 12 years, and I served as a teaching pastor and family pastor there, and then leaving the Bible Belt and coming into the desert was interesting. Um, but it's been glorious, and it's been wonderful. Um, so I'm going to continue today on Ryan's series on James. And um, I just want to do something um, just to see, because there's new people here, and the old people know what I'm going to expect right now. So you better be loud. But um, good afternoon, everybody. Good. Okay. When I say good afternoon, I expect shouting and rejoicing and many good things. So we're going to try that one more time, and I want it really loud. So good afternoon, everybody. My people. You got a baby. You got to learn to sleep through it. I have five of them. Trust me. I know. All right. So anyways, um, it's good to be here with you. Uh, on a personal note, um, I can tell you on behalf of my, not just myself, but also Melissa and the kids, we're really excited for next week uh, when we go to the 1030 service um, and we can start joining you every week again. So we're really excited about that. Um, and the funny thing about it, it's ironic, if you will. So we have our first 1030 service next week. And I'm a huge fan of a 1030 service. And, and while we can't vote on that, and we didn't get to vote on that because we weren't members and we couldn't do that, um, we were really excited that 1030 service was happening. But the ironic thing is, is next week on the first 1030 service, I can't be here because I have something to do at 1030 um, on campus. Uh, so I can't be here next week at 1030, unfortunately. But anyways, I'm here now, and you guys are here now. And so we're all here together right now, and we're going to worry about next week. Next week. Um, so looking at this series, or looking at this, this sermon today, uh, it's James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And I've titled it, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Uh, which, any of you are literature nerds, uh, you'll know that's a book by Ray Bradbury. A very famous book. And it's actually a book I've never even read, um, to be totally honest with you. Uh, I got the title of this back in 1992. Remember the R&B group TLC? They have an obscure song called Something Wicked This Way Comes. Uh, and that's been stuck in my head forever. And it was when I was reading these, uh, this passage of scripture that that just kind of jumped out. And um, it's just weird how certain things stick in your head. So anyways, uh, we're going to be in James 3, 13 to 18. And it's tough to jump into this collection of verses. And, and I say that because there's a huge contextual piece that's kind of missing. So to come in and do a one-off sermon in, in the midst of, of James chapter 3... This is one of the harder sermons I've ever actually had to put down. Um, so we're going to see what happens and see how it turns out. This might be the worst Sunday you've ever had in your life. But anyways, we're going to read this and we're going to see where it goes. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And again, I'm getting a lot of feedback on this. Is, this, is my voice clear enough for everybody? Is it? Okay, thank you. Um, so anyways, the overarching kind of concept here, what we're looking at, 
um, overarching in James 3, um, in James 3, James is writing to teachers specifically, teachers of the word um, specifically, and, and he continues to do that here. So specifically, this is written to teachers of the word of God, to teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he touches on speech throughout um, chapter 3, but here he also is talking about some spiritual maturity. And while speech does play a role in what he's talking about here, the bigger picture shows us that the root of the issue is really pride. Have you ever heard that in church before? It comes down to pride. And this plays itself out in envy and selfish ambition. And those aren't just minor blips on the radar, but they're major bogeys that will derail everything you try to do spiritually. So looking at verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The wise teacher shows his works not just about what they say. It's not just about spinning a good story or spinning a good yarn, telling a good tale. It's about showing your works. Your wisdom is demonstrated in good conduct and gentleness. And I'm reminded of the very beginning of James, James verse 122. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I've carried that verse with me for a long time. I started writing a book about that verse, which is coming out probably next year. Anyways, but anyway, so we as a congregation, though, we have to take this to heart. It's not enough just to show up to church on Sunday and hear a good tale from a preacher. It's not just enough to go home on a, on a Sunday afternoon and, and read your Bible or Monday through Friday read your Bible. It's not enough just to read it. That's an element of our faith, absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. The Word of God needs to pierce everything we think, everything we say, everything we touch, everything we feel, everything we do. And if it doesn't, it's just wasted time. And you're taking up space. But we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. All right, in the phrase bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this contrasts directly to what we see in verse 13, where we have good conduct and meekness or gentleness of wisdom. In denial of truth, this is something we see that's running rampant right now. Denial of truth is basically a church's inability to stand firm in the authority that God's given them. And they get wishy-washy with different stuff. They tolerate false teachings. They promote false teachings. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so James contrasts the two types of wisdom according to their sources. One is from above, and one is from below. And those who teach on the basis of earthly wisdom produce disorder and every kind of evil. And teachers who possess wisdom from above produce virtues that promote, lead, and direct others towards a healthy spiritual life. Directing others towards God and His will, not away from God and towards your own. They, they, they lead you to James 2.8, which is love your neighbors as yourself. They promote unity within the congregation. And before we go any further with this, I want to separate two words, knowledge and wisdom. All right, so knowledge allows us to take things apart to look at them and to see how they work and to see how they fit together. 
But wisdom allows us to see how what we know fits into our life. Something James refers to often is how preachers will preach knowledge without wisdom. Basically saying they'll, they'll speak into your, your head, but not into your life. And the dictionary defines knowledge as information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Wisdom, on the other hand, is defined as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. Knowledge is knowing how to use a fork. Wisdom is knowing which fork to use, the salad fork or the main fork it's in. Knowledge is for the here and now, but wisdom is eternal. And, and looking at that, there's, there's two origins for wisdom. The false wisdom, which we talked about, that comes from below. It's man-made and not from God. And then the true wisdom, which comes from above. It's heavenly wisdom that comes from God. It's reason versus revelation, if you want to put it in a nice capture point. And I want to focus on the false wisdom for a moment. How do we see it listed in here? Um, or rather, what's born of false wisdom as we see it listed in, in this passage of Scripture? One, we have envy. Envy is a product of false wisdom. And this ties with, with James 3.1 where he was talking, he was telling the teachers or warning the teachers not to project themselves for spiritual offices. That's specifically what this is talking about. And, and we look at the position, when we consider envy, we look at the position which the world takes. We look at worldly wisdom for position, all right? And it, and it says, self-promote. It says, sing your praises. Herald your laurels. It says all of this stuff. Um, it, it says, put yourself at least equal with everybody else, but probably a little bit better. That's what the world says. And Christians, we're not above this. So I'm not saying this, that it's just the world that thinks it. Christians are not above doing that. And if you don't believe me, just look at Scripture itself and you have a great case of the, the, the disciples arguing with themselves over who's better. So this isn't me just saying the world is bad. We have a tendency to be pretty bad also in the church. Now, it's not saying that we shouldn't seek to advance, but we have to be certain that our motives are right. At our last church back in Jacksonville, there was a guy there um, who loved Jesus. Like, there was no doubt. Like, this dude loved Jesus. And it was evident all over. You know, everything he did, um, the way he served and all of that. But this is a guy, he wanted to be a pastor so badly. But not because he wanted to be a pastor or do anything pastoral. He just wanted people to call him Pastor. Because he thought that people would look at him as, he was, as, as if he was more spiritual or more of a leader. He thought people would look at him differently just because of the name he held. And, and I'm not bringing that up just by chance. I mean, this is a real thing. In church circles, we do that. We, we often can do more so that we're seen more. Not so that God gets the glory. And we need to do heart checks to figure out if we're truly happy to see others succeed. Especially in areas which we count as our own strengths or areas of giftedness. Or are we secretly happy to see others fail? Who here has ever been happy to see somebody fail? 
Who here has ever looked at a room full of liars? It's what we, we do it. False wisdom produces strife in the church. See, worldly wisdom, it, it calls us to rally up support, all the support we can for whatever it is that we're all about. It causes friction and tension within the church and, and church members because it, from the act or the, the art, if you will, of collecting people. Has anybody here ever heard that phrase before or heard that term before? All right, it's a spirit of divisiveness. And, and, and think about this. When I say collecting people, I had this realization probably about a year ago um, that this is what we do as people. We bring people into our camps and onto our sides when we're passionate about something or we feel strongly about something. Who here has ever had a bad breakup with a girl or a guy? Who here has also ever looked at a room full of liars? Okay, come on, people. Work with me here. All right? So when we break up with somebody, what do we do? We start talking to people, especially mutual friends. You won't believe what they did, how they treated me. Man, it was awful. She did this, or she was like this, or, or he was this, and he was that. And in doing so, we naturally collect people. We start sharing our story to bring them onto our side. Or whatever it is. Say you're a, say you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, or a Hillary supporter, or a Trump supporter, or, a, or a whoever supporter. You start rallying, or, or say you're a vegetarian. You can tell everybody about that, all right? And, so, and you start rallying people to your side. You tell people, this is what I do. And naturally, you have people then who are going to be with you. And what's the else alternative? People who are against you. It's a natural consequence of collecting people. Now, can anybody here think of an occurrence right here in the church where this might have happened? Maybe as relating to a time change? Or... or, or the hiring of a new pastor. We need to be certain that when we're collecting people that it's out of a spirit of kingdom-mindedness and not personal gain or satisfaction. Truly, when we're talking about the things that we're passionate about, it's not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus have us do? And we lead with that. Another thing born of false wisdom is boasting. And the world is going to tell you to sing loud your accomplishments and tell everybody about them so you can receive your just reward. That's what the world wants you to do. And it's not uncommon, and this is even in ministry, if you think about it, it's not uncommon to hear this. Man, look what I've built in terms of ministry. Or, or, or kind of like the, the humble God, give, give God the glory, Brad. Man, God used me too. Me and God, we did. I'm so glad that God used me in this area. He knew what he was doing when he put me and so-and-so in the same room so I could tell about him. He used me to speak. Anybody ever heard anything like that? Because any time we have a thought that contains how we and God did something... We need to check our heads, our hearts, and the story itself. We place ourselves on equal footing like we're partners with God. Like we're doing something and inviting God along for the ride. Where God, you can join me in my ministry, we're going here. When in reality, God's already doing something. And we get to choose if we join him or not. But when we do join him, God did it. And it's kind of where that ends. 
And then false wisdom brings about deceit, being false to the truth. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. The world tells you that, that to inflate numbers, to inflate your successes, inflate your results. But heavenly wisdom calls for us to be honest and take a hard look at things. Now, comparing that to what's born of true wisdom, meekness. Meek is a word that you hear in, in Christian circles a lot, but a lot of people don't really know what it means. Well, they have a misconception or misperception about what it means, but really it's just power under control. It's leading with the jab and not the haymaker. It's knowing that there's more back there, but you hold it in reserve. Originally, the Greek usage of this word referred to a horse that had been broken. All the power was still there, but instead of acting out on its own, it responded to the hand and the voice of its master. That's meekness. And, and that's our attitude as Christians. When we subscribe to heavenly wisdom, that's our attitude, is we submit to the hand and the voice of the master. The power that we have within us, our fleshly, our human power, hasn't diminished at all. We just don't use it until he says so. That's meekness. And it said that, well, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Meekness is the right use of power. So what else does uh, true wisdom produce in a church? It produces purity. Because man's wisdom will lead to sin, degradation, and defilement. But heavenly wisdom will lead to chastity and holiness. Are we seeing a difference here? In where true wisdom and false wisdom will take you? Peace. Peace is born of purity and honesty. When you're in the middle of, of sin, and I'm not going to say any specifics because we're all in the middle of sin in some regard. And if you won't admit, you are, I'll admit I am, and you can ride my coattails, whatever. When you're in the middle of sin, is your mind at peace? Is your heart at peace? Are the people in your wake at peace? Or do you leave little mini trails of destruction wherever you go? When you're covering up a lie, same questions. Are you at peace? Who here's ever tried to cover up a lie? You all knew I would call you out if you didn't raise your hand. Good. How do you feel when you're trying to cover up a lie? That's the worst. When you wake up each day thinking, just waiting for the other shoe to drop, or waiting for somebody to figure out what you're up to, there's no peace there. The world's going to tell you to cover up the bad stuff. False wisdom tells you, sweep it under the rug. But heavenly wisdom says, expose the dirt. Expose the junk. Expose the grind. Get rid of it. Because you'll never move past it if it's still on the inside of you. And it's through that cleansing, it's through that honesty that we become at peace. Personally as well as with one another. And... The best example of how we're to live is shown in how Christ died. Some of you might have heard me say this before because it's one of my favorite things to come back to. So when we look at the crucifixion story, we look at the story of the crucifixion, and we have Jesus, before he even has to carry that cross up, what, what happens to him? Right? He's, 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 he's tied up, his hands are, he's put over a post, he's leaned over a post, which stretches the skin on his back super tight. Right? There's nothing to give at all. So he's, he's stretched out like this. 
his skin is taut. And then the soldiers came in with a cat of nine tails. And on the end of this, this cat of nine tails, there were bits of metal, pieces of bone, glass, or all these things on the end of it. And every time they whipped Jesus, they would, the, the, the bone spurs and everything would, would catch in his skin. And because his sin was so taut, there was no give. It would just tear it off. His skin was literally torn from his body. All right, and then on top of that, he had to carry the cross up the hill himself, and then they put him on it and all of that wonderful good stuff there. But think about this. He's bloody. He's nasty. He's messy. It's the, it's the worst horror scene you've ever seen in your life. And he's on the cross with his skin torn off, with his arms wide open saying, I love you. That's how we're called to live. With our skin off, our junk, our dirt, our mess, our insides exposed with our arms wide open. But so often, we have the mindset that we're going to hold all that crap inside and just let it eat us alive. Let it destroy the relationships that are around us. There's no peace in living your life like this. There's tremendous peace in this. And that's heavenly wisdom. And then gentleness is produced from heavenly wisdom, uh, wisdom in word, deed, and thought. We're to be uncompromising in the truth, but soft with our delivery. And I'm not going to lie. Here, I have a real problem with this. Not like, like it, it, you know, intellectually. I think it's great. I love it. But like actually in practice, I have a problem with this. I can be really harsh. You know, part of that is because is I'm from New England originally. Um, and we're all kind of like that a little bit. Part of that is because I have five children and my wits are frayed sometimes. Part of that is just kind of the Italian in me coming out. I don't know what it is. But I can be harsh in speech, heavy-handed in speech sometimes. I can come at people hard, slightly sarcastic. You might know that if you've been with me for five minutes. A senior pastor of mine back in Jacksonville put it this way. He said, when you come out preaching, you need to wrap some velvet around that brick you're hitting people with. And that's what it is. The truth that I needed to share would stay the same, but the blow was softened by the velvet around it. And that's how we're to speak. We don't deviate from scriptural truth. We don't deviate from the authority of God. But when we communicate that, it's in love, with love, and gentleness. Sometimes I like to think I've gotten better at that. But anyways, we're open to reason. Now, this doesn't mean being so open-minded your brain falls out. That's not what we're talking about here. Because we said before, revelation trumps reason. What's given to us from God will always trump what's given to us from man. But it means more that while we're unwavering in this truth that we know, we'll listen to other people. We'll hear what they have to say. And when they're done talking, we take it back with us. We pray about it and then respond based on what we hear in prayer. We communicate it with lots of velvet and in love. It doesn't mean someone's going to change our mind to listen to what they have to say. It just means we love them enough to hear what's in their hearts. And as Rabbi Zacharias puts it, and I love him, he says, you'll never argue anyone into the kingdom anyways. So why try? A product of, of heavenly wisdom, of, of true wisdom, is mercy. 
And not just having mercy, but being so full of mercy that it controls you. Look at the Good Samaritan. Being so full of mercy that it controls his action. It's when we extend our very best um, of everything we have and, and everything we are with no hope of ever being repaid for it. That's mercy. We know that's what God wills for us, and that's enough for us. True wisdom produces good fruits. True wisdom in a church produces a self-replicating church. The world's wisdom says pay yourself first. Heavenly wisdom says give yourself away. Those two couldn't be more different. And those that give themselves away produce people who give themselves away. And if we as a church are giving ourselves away, it's only natural that anybody who would come into our sanctuary would ultimately do the same. True wisdom produces that. True wisdom produces decisiveness. Now, I will rarely, if ever, talk politics. Certainly not from a pulpit. But have you ever seen a candidate flip-flop on an issue? I mean, right now there's two of them running who both have a history of playing both sides of the coin. And if you disagree with me, you can keep Keith about it and talk to him about it. Um, forget I said anything. But, but the, world, the world says play to the crowd and gain supporters. If you look back at candidates' history in any election, we're not just going to use this one as an example. It's always different. What they say is, is dependent on what votes they think they can get. But heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above, says hold your ground and stand for what you know to be true. Wisdom from above brings a lot of confidence where you don't feel like you have to say what somebody else wants to hear. True wisdom brings about sincerity. Another way to put this is congruity. I don't know if that's a word you're familiar with or not. But congruity is when your speech, your thoughts, your heart, your life, your action, your words, when it all lines up, that's congruity. A lack of congruity is the biggest problem most people have with Christians. If we want to close that gap, we need to live congruent lives. We need our lives to match up with what we say. We need our, our lives to match up with what we believe. The most radical thing we can do as Christians is live like what we, live like what we say we believe. That's it. The world says be who you have to be or even who or whatever you want to be. But heavenly wisdom says, be who you were created to be. Find that out and live into that. And as a person up here who has lived on both sides of that, trying to be what the world wanted me to be, or even just trying to be whatever I wanted to be for myself, that sucks compared to being the person who God created me to be. And that's not just in, in a ministry capacity. That's as a father, that's as a husband, that's as a friend, that's as a son, that's as a brother. All of that. Be who you were created to be, and that's what God says. That's heavenly wisdom. Say, be who you were created to be. So, so looking at all of that, because there were a whole lot of words in a lot of different parts, what, what does this all mean? Warren Wearsby says it like this, origin determines outcome. If our wisdom has an earthly origin, we can expect worldly, selfish, and temporary results. But if our wisdom has a spiritual origin, a heavenly origin, we can expect spiritual, kingdom-minded, and eternal results. 
False wisdom is for the here and now. True wisdom is eternal. If the origins of our thoughts are wrong, the basis of our knowledge will be wrong, and the only possible outcome is that our living in the here and now will be wrong. There's no other outcome. If we start wrong, we live wrong, we finish wrong. But if the origins of our thoughts are from God, from above, then the foundation of our knowledge is secure. The outcome there is that our lives will be focused on the forever and not the temporary. And that's living. That's the life we're called to have. So back to the title of this whole thing, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oftentimes, the most dangerous things in our orbits are things that look the most appealing. They're the things that look the most promising. The things that sound the best and the things that feel the best, the things that look the best, all these things, those are the most dangerous things around us. And heavenly wisdom will allow us to discern what's from above and what's from below. And then we can make an informed decision either way. And I'm not saying we're all going to make the right choice all the time. But this wisdom will allow us to recognize straight away when something wicked this way comes. I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue in worship. Um, It's just good to be with you all today. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for speaking into this world through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for speaking into our lives each and every day, whether we hear it or not. Whether we want to hear it or not, Lord, you are always that still small voice in our ear. Lord, I pray for forgiveness for the times we tune you out, for things we'd rather hear over the things you want us to hear. Lord, I pray today as as people are listening or tuning out, God, that you do what you're going to do anyways. Lord, I pray as a church that our heart collides with your will. Lord, let it be messy. Let it be glorious. Let it be spectacular. Lord, I pray for the train wrecks that are to come as you meet them head on. Lord, I pray for the lives that people think they have built for themselves. Lord, I pray for the moment when you destroy and wreck those lives and rebuild them as you see fit. Lord, I pray for a loosening of the grip on people's lives that they think they have. Lord, let them live open-armed and open-handed, accepting of their mess and your place in it. Lord, I pray for redemption and restoration for all, understanding it's in your timing. But Lord... As Christians, let us leave no stone unturned as we share the gospel with all who need to hear it, which is everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. As we ponder where true wisdom comes from.